African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Good morning and welcome once again to African Dialogue on this Tuesday on the 29th of September. It's still 2015. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. We'll be with you in the next hour. Remember, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're joining us on DSTV, thank you for listening to us on that audio channel on Channel 902. Thank you for streaming us on www channelafrica.co.za Well, today on the program, we're going to be looking at the global economic downturn and how Africa is impacted by this. We'll have our guests as usual. But before we get into that particular topic, we've got Amanda Machaka standing by to give us our news. Top stories at this hour, Central African Republic's interim president, Catherine Samba Panza, leaves the UN General Assembly to return home due to the worst violence in the country. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari promises to rescue the schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram fighters last year and to defeat the Islamist militia. And Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe denounces sanctions imposed on his country by the European Union and the United States. Good morning. Central African Republic's interim president, Catherine Samba Panza, has left the United Nations General Assembly in New York to return home due to the worst violence in the capital of her country this year. Around 30 people have been killed and over 100 more injured in three days of intercommunal clashes in Bangui, a city secured by the UN and French peacekeepers. The violence has sparked fears that Samba Panza could be overthrown. Earlier, hundreds of prisoners escaped from the main jail in the capital, and the UN peacekeepers fired warning shots to disperse thousands of protesters, calling for the rearming of the army. Three people were killed. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has promised to rescue the schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram fighters last year and to defeat the Islamist militia. He was delivering a speech at the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Boko Haram fighters stormed a school in the remote northeastern Nigerian town of Chibok on April 14, 2014, seizing 276 girls who were preparing for end-of-year exams in an abduction that shocked the world. 
57 escaped, but nothing has been heard of the 219 others since May last year, when about 100 of them appeared in a Boko Haram video dressed in Muslim attire and reciting the Quran. Boko Haram leader Abu Bakr Shikau has since said they all converted to Islam and been married off. Buhari, who has promised to stamp out the group's bloody six-year insurgency, told the General Assembly that his government had put in place a bold and robust strategy to defeat Boko Haram. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has denounced what he calls the illegal sanctions imposed on his country by the European Union and the United States. The 91-year-old head of state, also AU chairperson, was addressing the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Mugabe has appealed to the EU and the U.S. to allow Zimbabwe to exercise its sovereignty. Illegal sanctions that are imposed on my country by the European Union and the USA and call for their immediate and unconditional removal. We don't know what wrong we have done to the United States, and can it leave us free and independent to do our own thing, please? Once more, I put it on record that my country is desirous to live in harmony with all countries, big and small. We have peace in Zimbabwe just now. We don't want war. A summit at the United Nations headquarters in New York has heard that UN peacekeeping operations are unable to keep up with rising demand in a more dangerous world. Convened by U.S. President Barack Obama, world leaders gathered on the sidelines of the annual general debate to promise thousands more troops and specialist personnel. The summit heard that modernizing and reforming operations also meant committing more women to the field and having a zero-tolerance approach to abuse by peacekeepers. Obama says more nations need to come on board. More nations need to contribute more forces. Put simply, the supply of well-trained, well-equipped peacekeepers can't keep up with the growing demand. So we are here today, together, to strengthen and reform UN peacekeeping because our common security demands it. And finally, one Egyptian police officer has been killed and another injured in an attack by armed men against their patrol vehicle in Egypt's central province of Giza. The two officers were attacked in the El Baragil district of the province during the early hours of Tuesday. No one has claimed responsibility for the assault yet. Security forces have launched an investigation into the attack and a search for the assailants is underway. Recapping your top stories, Central African Republic's interim president, Catherine Samba-Panza, leaves the UN General Assembly to return home due to the worst violence in the country. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari promises to rescue the schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram fighters last year and to defeat the Islamist militia. And Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe denounces sanctions imposed on his country by the European Union and the United States.
Well, as I mentioned when we started the program, that today we're going to be looking at this whole conversation that's starting to take place. A lot of commentators are saying with the brink of the recession that took place years back, kind of a lot of alarmists that are kind of taking place right now. We're going to look at the global economic downturn and how Africa is impacted by this. African countries have not yet been isolated from the impact of the downturn in global growth. The current financial and economic crisis has affected the drivers of Africa's recent growth performance. Demand for raw materials and their prices are falling and capital flows are declining. China's uh, growth forecasts have already been drastically revised downwards. Although the immediate impact of the crisis were contained, the medium-term effects are likely to be greater. So we're going to be looking at what's happening in our economy right now. There's a lot of conversation taking place around that and also how it affects the African continent. And we're going to start off our conversation with Patrick Bond, who joins us in our studio. He's a professor of... uh, the uh, Political Economy Department at the uh, Witt School of Governance, based here in Johannesburg, South Africa. And also we've got Majaka Tata Mukwena, who's the Chair and Chief Executive Officer for Muhudi Group. And also, thank you for joining us once again, Dr. Peter Karungu. He's our economist. He's always on our programs. Always good to have him on our program for his views. Patrick, let me start with you in terms of our conversation. As you could hear, we lost someone on the line there, so we have no option but to start with you. In terms of what's happening right now there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of uh, uh, predictions that seem not to be making sense right now tell us a little bit about what's happening in global economies right it now. is utter chaos yeah. and a lot of that's coming from china you know in june july they had a three-week period where three and a half trillion dollars evaporated from their stock market because wow. of uh, absolute bubbling Uh, The kind of bubbling we saw in the capitalist West, well, the capitalist Chinese economy, Mm. even more raw and uh, extreme. And then just yesterday, 100,000 workers, you didn't uh, hear me wrong, 100,000 workers were fired in one of the biggest coal companies. That's how big the scale of the Mm. destruction of value of of economic output is. And, of course, when uh, a country like China that once imported vast amounts of uh, raw materials from Africa uh, has gluts uh, to the extent they can get rid of that larger chunk of a of a of a major part of their economy, mm-hmm. coal, which you know still drives sure, most of the energy, sure. um, that will bounce back in Africa. Both declining demand is already hitting us with the huge crash in commodity prices. You know, coal was one hundred and forty five dollars per ton yeah. uh, at its peak in 2011. Yeah. It's down about 42 now. Yeah. Um, and now, uh, even worse, a boomerang in which those raw materials that China used to import from Africa, let's take steel. Um, South Africa had a very good steel yeah. export uh, uh, system, and we had uh, two big producers, one an Indian based in Luxembourg, uh, uh, Lakshmi uh, Mittal, ArcelorMittal, and another Heifelt steel, and Heifel's just gone bankrupt and is going to have to be bailed out. It's the second biggest steel producer, 10% of the country's steel. And ArcelorMittal's announced huge problems in our big mining houses as well. Uh, Glencore, uh, uh, Anglo, most of the Anglo family. All of these are taking the worst hits uh, in recent memory, even worse than that 2008 period when there was a big crash. Let me sum it up. Uh, between 2002 and 2008 and then uh, after a little crash, yeah. big in some cases, but it uh, uh, there was a recovery and the the commodity super cycle that 2002 to 2011 yeah. uh, was was extremely impressive. However, um, it didn't have the effect of really allowing Africa to rise properly. Yeah. Just GDP rose, 
but gross domestic product doesn't mean your economy is doing particularly yes, well sir. if all the profits are being sucked out, if your raw materials are being sucked out. And then from 2011, we've seen this slow motion crash. It's now really picking up from middle of 2014. Most of the commodity markets are down 40, 50 percent. And that means our platinum, gold in South Africa, our coal, um, and for most of the continent, especially those like Nigeria, so dependent on oil, yeah, yeah. Uh, they are really uh, in awful shape. And I think it's, let's take the silver lining finally. That is, when you've been so dependent on primary commodity production, yeah. all the rhetoric about Africa rising, yes. uh, notwithstanding, it looks all very fake now. Yeah. Um, now there's a chance to take a reality check mm. and rejig the economies for local production and consumption and get off this terrible resource cursing that affects us politically, ecologically, socially, yeah. and I think it's pretty evident economically in such adverse ways. Well, let me move on to see if we have our other guests on the line, if we have them back. Um, Dr. Peter Kirungu, uh, coming to you in some of the commentary made by Patrick Bond, uh, looking at this uh, whole conversation we're having, also putting note on uh, the issue of China's uh, slow growth and its economic crisis in that particular country. As less to uh, the president of the country of China yesterday, uh, Xi Jinping, and he seemed very optimistic, and he also made some promises of continuing aid uh, on the continent of Africa. I didn't think that he would come with that kind of approach. Uh, What does that particular mean, seeing that that, that very much our economy sometimes relies heavily on the relationship between China and the continent? Okay, I think uh, we've lost our guests there. I'll, I'll stay with you, Patrick. Your thoughts around this. Some of the commitments made by the president of China yesterday saying, hey, they'll continue aid, they'll continue uh, economic partnership with the continent. Your thoughts around this, especially with this particular crisis. Should we lean in despite these particular economic times for China? Definitely not. Uh, not. Uh, I think leaning out and becoming more self-reliant is the only way through this storm. Uh, look, China has given aid, and, and uh, I was with the top uh, African climate negotiator in Dar es Salaam earlier this month, and he said to a packed house uh, preparing for the Paris Climate Summit, when the Chinese came with aid, it was to buy Africa. And in the case that he watched, it was to buy their votes in Copenhagen so that we would have no action on climate change. Mm. So I see uh, China much as I see the Western powers, Mm. uh, inter-imperial interested in the scramble for Africa, that is to grab resources at low cost during that uh, huge uh, buildup of uh, the commodity uh, pressure, Mm -hmm. and now dumping Africa. And uh, sure, there's going to be rhetoric that aid will continue, and there are going to be some prestige projects and some very, uh, let me say, dubious leaders will continue to be kept in power against the wishes of their people. Uh, That means I think uh, most of the people uh, who are suffering in Africa from, uh, for example, the import of very, very cheap, ultra-cheap, excessively Mm. cheap Chinese goods. Their currency has been so undervalued. So it's wrecked our own, say, in South Africa. We've wrecked uh, through Chinese imports our Mm. appliances and textiles and clothing and footwear and Mm. electronics industries. Mm. I think it's time that those folks begin to say, uh, instead of uh, the the cheap products, uh, exploitative conditions on the mines, uh, land grabs, uh, maybe a better relationship would be one that can keep uh, China at Bay, just the way I think keeping the U.S. at bay is so important that these these uh, days with the with the uh, military buildup against uh, uh, Muslim extremism, certainly the dangers of both the West and the East, as let me call them 
both imperial mm. powers uh, is is acute, and now it's a t- chance for Africa to think twice about its export-oriented strategies, a neoliberal project, mm. and to think inward and to think about production of basic needs for the masses of people in African factories that should should now get a chance to start uh, firing up. Well, we'll start a little bit later to look at how we can reimagine the uh, labor and also uh, the industries on the continent. You're listening to us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. In studio with me, I have Patrick Bond, who is uh, the professor in the political economy department at Witts School of Governance, based here in Johannesburg. And on our lines, we've got Majagatata Mukwena, who's the chair and chief executive officer for Muhudi Group, and Dr. Peter Karungu, who is an economist also joining us on the line. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Definitely you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us right here on African Dialogue. And thank you for tuning us. If you're listening to your shortwave service, it's on the frequency 9635 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for listening to us also on uh, the audio bouquet on DSTV. We're on the channel 902, www.channelafrica.co.za. That's where you can also stream us live there. Today we're looking at the global downturn in terms of economy and how Africa is being impacted by that. We started our conversation with Patrick Bond in terms of looking at uh, uh, China's influence and also the dynamics in terms of uh, the markets there. And We've seen how they've been uh, hyperinflated there and there seems to be skirmishes that have taken place there in that particular country. But let's move on to our other guests and see some of their views in terms of what's happening in African economies in terms of this um, economic downturn that we're currently seeing. Dr. Peter Karungu, are you there with us now? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Now, Dr. Karungu, in terms of looking at uh, really the issue that have, has been raised in terms of uh, uh, the issue of the continent in Africa and how it's actually uh, growing in terms of GDP rates, and now we're seeing that hey, China has had problems, and now we're seeing some economies coming down, uh, such as we've seen the Kenyan shelling, we've seen the Naira also having some challenges there. In terms of uh, what's happening right now, what is your analysis? I think to put it in very simple economics, Africa, in my view, is undergoing structural transformation. Structural transformation that is brought by a a very vibrant youth that is as competitive through technology. Two, by the realization that a is no longer business as usual. Governments are being held accountable. And if they are held accountable, they have to be able to address, one, 
unparalleled inequality that has been there for so long, and two, the question of ownership of resources. It may sound funny that in a country that is not asking that question, whether the resources are due to be bound, owned by those who have only, or those who are foreign based who have a lot of money, has become an issue that is driving a lot of political discourse across the continent. But now let me summarize the following. A, yes, some economies, especially those are commodity-driven, like Nigeria, some aspect of some West African countries where petroleum becomes the key driver of the economy, they are going to have a very difficult time. B, the global downturn has not helped South Africa in particular, but I don't think I can say the same about Sub-Saharan Africa because if you don't isolate the countries, say like Ethiopia, Ghana, Guinea, some of those countries are growing at 8 10%, and that is something very positive. Of course, one argues we are starting from a very low base like Ethiopia, and therefore it's easier to see the trajectory of growth. But that benefits the people. If you look at on average, Sub-Saharan Africa is anticipated to grow without, would grow at 6-80%, but now the projections have been downgraded to about 5%, which is still not very bad. Mm. The issue is, what do we need to do? Number one, we need to start moving away consumer-based behavior of our people to ownership of resources and growth driven by the fact that the local savings are the ones that are turning to investment for the future. That has to be done, and the youth are aware of that. The second thing we need to do is not to apologize. We can't live in countries like South Africa, whereby the rich get in few the rich, and the poor are increasing by number and effectively more poor because everything is relative. When the country was not doing very well, the, the, the poverty was not as much. Today, literally speaking, after 22 years, we are seeing literally the growth of companies and the growth of the wealth among the white people and told three times or quadruple in 20 years. But yet, if you go to the rural areas, our people are poor. Mm. I hate everybody saying the government is to blame. The corruption in the white community, particularly white opportunities, we can write a book about them. But of course, we take off the side of saying they are corrupt. Them mm. and again it's us. The moment the country operates in that context, in economic terms, we are going to see what we are watching. Literally, a recession facing us. Not because of the government, but because even among the richest don't understand, hey, if you are rich, the more reason to think about the country and to work with the poor because the security of tech or anywhere or anywhere in the world is how the majority hold dear the country's life. In the absence of that, I'm not a political Well, I think that's... Yeah, well, we're going to move on there. I think uh, there's a bit of uh, chaos happening there. I think it's Jakarta Tamkwena trying to get people away from the traffic there. But uh, you've highlighted various things there, Dr. Peter Karungu, there. Basically, the issue of uh, consumer-based economies moving on to local ownership, um, savings, investments that are made within uh, the the economies themselves. But also, you, you, you looked at the economic gap between the rich and the poor, that deficit there. Um, let me try and see if we've got Majaka 
Tata Mukwena there to hear some of his views. Another thing I want to touch on right now is the issue of uh, uh, what we were talking about with Patrick Bond between the break, the issue of the financial debt within the content. It seems that it has increased and uh, we know that that actually puts us in a precarious um, situation, especially contradicting the the GDP growth in itself if we owe so much money as a continent. What are your thoughts around that, uh, Mr. Mugwena? Uh Yes, of course. They, they, but what I'd like to, to say here with regard to that is that uh, if you add all the facts that this gentleman have actually put in, uh, they put us in a situation where we continue to be disadvantaged even as uh, there's uh, growth in certain parts and pockets of the African continent. But uh, overall in the globe, we're still probably, you know, trailing other people. There, there are a number of things. The, the market for all the commodities that we've got in on the African continent that we actually earn so much money off are not on the African continent. As such, uh, for anyone to buy any of the products, they take their pricing from Chicago, for instance, or or London uh, 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 mercantile uh, exchanges, as it, as it is. So the benefit actually goes over there simply because there is a market that exists there. Secondly, even after we've earned all this money and it comes in the, in the country, the way we invest it is uh, what uh, Professor Karongo said in consumer-type uh, behavior. We buy flashy cars that have to be imported from Germany, from Japan, from other places, and as a result, it doesn't really do too much because it actually has an outflow of cash going in many places. But paramount is that... Uh, areas where we are in a position to make decisions we don't make the right kind but also it's it's a function of the global marketplace we collect pensions from uh, our employees in the countries that are concerned and yet once we find those pensions, we invest them in places where that can guarantee a particular return simply because of the level of sophistication of the of the of the economy and uh, we then uh, have a disincentive to invest in our own economies and build, bring them up to those particular levels. For instance, uh, it is said that the aid that comes into Africa pales in comparison to funds that flow out of the place, out of the African continent, whether illicit or legitimate. So it's, it's actually a, an outflow. So when you make the comparisons, you realize that, in fact, if we had kept some of the money internally and invested internally, we would find ourselves in a situation where we are better than where we are standing today. Uh, pension funds, for instance, uh, would find investment uh, in, in case of these other sub-Saharan African countries that are closer to South Africa, would benefit South Africa because there is industry there. So people invest in those places so they can secure interest, so they can actually pay the pensions for people that are actually putting in. So, so the flow from Swaziland, from Lesotho, from Botswana, from Zimbabwe and other places would be going to South Africa. Who does it benefit? Made South Africa. But on a global scale, the African continent finds these kinds of growth in major markets, in, in New York, in, in London, in well, I think we, we were trying to get uh, Dr. Peter Kurungu there. But let's come back to some of the issues that um, uh, Majagata Tamukwana has just highlighted now before we had that particular interruption with the lines with you, Patrick Bond, in terms of uh, the issue of um, financial debt versus the issue of illicit flows that are coming out into into the outside the continent. And we know that's a big conversation that was brought forward by the former president of South Africa, Tabombeki. There's a lot of things happening, actually, what, we, what we're talking about. Can well, you contextualize all yes, these things? Yes, I think that's terrific uh, to 
take the direction which Etiquette was and Peter have done. Particularly, Peter mentioned that here in South Africa, not too far from where we're sitting, uh, Benjamin, the the uh, Santon uh, Johannesburg Stock Exchange mm. is really the site of uh, hot money. It's mm. sort of Africa's version of the you know Cayman Islands in, mm. in many respects now with deregulated finance. But it's also um, it's sort of a halfway house for loot from the continent to come through here and then go to London, uh, particularly London, New York, Melbourne. Um, and what uh, I think we're getting at is, is well, particularly the unpatriotic bourgeoisie, if I can use right. a little French. Right. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's an elite class. And yes. when Machacrette was saying we, uh, he doesn't mean himself, I'm sure, but he means the ruling crew. Mm. And um, Peter said, actually, you can tell some of them by the color of their skin. They're white people. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> correct. And I think it's very important that uh, tomorrow with a huge march, maybe not that large because... Uh, uh, labor is not uh, being allowed to fully participate, but mm. it'll be an important march against the South African government on the issue of corruption, civil society march tomorrow. Mm. I'm waiting for the next one, which I think would be at the JSC, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Yeah, yeah. And the reason is they, they are absolutely taking not just illicit, but also licit. And we're talking about the top people in this country. I mean, the number two man in this country, mm. uh, Sil Ramaphosa, was part of Lawnmen, and they were taking hundreds of millions of rands out in a fake marketing scheme to Bermuda. And he was signing off on that, right? Not just the, um, the Maracana massacre mm, and the, yeah. the housing fiasco, mm. but these are problems at the top level. They're so bad that PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is a you know big eight accounting firm, a big uh, institution in and of itself, they did a survey of world corruption last year. They named South Africa's corporate community as the most corrupt in the world. Uh, this is not a left-wing wow. uh, wow. university academic like <laughs> myself. This is PricewaterhouseCoopers, the gold medal for world corruption. Mm. And I think it gets back to um, not simply asking African elites to do better and to be more accountable. And in a way, mm. that's the, the message from Peter. Try for more accountability. It's actually something I think we can begin to call an African uprising against mm. Africa rising. That is a huge increase in protest. You know, it, it spiked in, in 2011. Uh, in, in 2011, you might remember the North African countries, yeah. Tunisia most successfully, yes. Libya least successfully, yeah. Egypt also unsuccessfully, uh, had uprisings of citizens against bad governments. Yeah. Um, and that then filtered through 2011 and uh, into the, the, the present year yeah. uh, and an ever-increasing number of protests. Now, you can take the measurements from the African Development Bank, their governance indicator in the annual African Economic Outlook, or you can look at the World Economic Forum, their Global Competitiveness Report, measures worker militancy. Africa is far ahead of any other country. So when Peter says, um, in I think a, a naive view that most economists uh, tend to have, that GDP growth is going well, 5% in Africa, he's not incorporating the kinds of problems in that Africa rising mm -hmm. narrative mm -hmm. that are leading to Africa uprisings. And one of them is that growth uh, measured by GDP is nonsense when you have resource-intensive economies because we're taking out uh, our family silver, our platinum from South Africa. Mm -hmm. It goes out. It goes out to London through Lonmin and Anglo. Mm -hmm. um, and um, then we never have that again, but we consider that growth. But we've actually subtracted from our natural capital, our, our net wealth. Sure. And so the negative 5% uh, growth per year, when you do that calculation that the World Bank comes up with for the last few years in Africa, is what we really should focus on mm -hmm. and therefore get away from the resource cursing and the export of our raw uh, minerals. Well, we'll have to continue in this particular line, but we need to take a huge uh, break right now, a quick break. Uh, we've got Patrick Bond joining us. He is the Professor of uh, Political Economy at uh, Vitz School of Governance. We also have uh, Majaka Tata Mukwena, the Chair and Chief Executive Officer 
for Muhudi Group. We had to let go of Dr. Peter Karungu. I think he's on the road and uh, he was just trying to speak to us via his phone. But I think it's very, very difficult to keep that particular phone network. But we'll let him go, but we'll continue with our two guests to look at other areas that we're talking about right now. And maybe when we come back, we should speak about regulation, maybe speak about new approaches of how we deal with these particular issues. But you are listening to us on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Let's take a quick break. Would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, this is a heated conversation we're having today looking at uh, the global economy. Seems we need more accountability from our leaders as well and also from the corporate sectors that are doing business on the continent. That's the kind of theme that's coming out from both of our guests. Remember, we want to hear from you. Hey, do you think that Africa is looking after its financial interests? Do you think the way we trade is actually for our own benefit or do you think we're always giving, giving, giving away just for a sense of little profit? Let us know your thoughts. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. If you've just joined us, I've got Patrick Bond who's joining us. He's part of the Vit School of Governance, and I've also got Majakatata Mukwena who is also part of the Muhudi Group. Uh, Majakatata, let me come to you in, in terms of what we're seeing. I think I want to move on to this dimension of looking at policy change, looking at regulation. It seems that there's a void in that regard. We saw the whole VW emission issue that has made international news right now. It's a big conversation that's that's taking place and is actually threatening the motor industry in South Africa in itself. Your thoughts about uh, governance, policy, uh, we need to create a path whereby uh, governments and also uh, business leaders are held to account. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest problem that we face on the African continent is that there is a dichotomy between politicians, especially at leadership level, and the business people that are sophisticated and trained enough in issues of finance and trade. Uh, what needs to happen is that we need to bring the two people together because most politicians are very charismatic people and as such uh, get elected into office. But the people who actually understand global economic uh, flows and uh, the trends and everything and finance that goes with it are left in the corporate offices and there is no place where there is a meeting of, of thought. And, and policy would then be informed not only by what people desire, but mostly by what the international community, I mean, the international business community is functioning on. Uh, because it's of no use to say that I want to have more people uh, rich without actually saying how am I going to do them within the system that already functions. So there needs to be a, a clean connection between people who are professionals in finance and trade and business 
and uh, uh, with the with the politicians, so that now the people can inform the politicians about policies to adopt uh, that are flexible enough to adjust to global conditions. Because conditions change. So if you set policy for five years, it's static. So, so what if changes take place tomorrow or in mm. two weeks or maybe two months? Mm. You need to actually adjust with it. Most of the African continent, they say, we've got a policy, we'll see it again in five years, uh, because that's when we do our policy reviews. So, so there needs to be a, a really serious, symbiotic, patriotic combination uh, between the politicians and the business people so we can have an informed and more sophisticated approach to global uh, economic changes. Mm. Your, your thoughts, Patrick? I see you shaking your I, head I a little bit. I completely disagree. <laughs> I'd love <laughs> to sit uh, over a drink and work this out with, uh, with uh, Machaka Tetra because I think we have that already and it's doing this continent enormous damage. We have a crony capitalism that entails the Bretton Woods institutions, the World Bank and the IMF, the uh, rating agencies of the big banks. Those are usually Fitch, uh, Moody's, and Standard & Poor's. Uh, and the big bankers uh, having a revolving door into our reserve banks, our central mm-hmm. banks, and mm-hmm. our finance ministries, really. The, you can look at South Africa as a good example. Goldman Sachs uh, has just... Uh, uh, taken uh, Tito Mboweni and they're re- recirculating him <laughs> to the, the BRICS New Development Bank um, <laughs> along with Leslie Mastorp, the Vice President. He was also at Goldman. He was at Bank of America. We have Rothschilds taking Trevor Manuel and they go back and forth and it's an extraordinary revolving door of a neoliberal elite that's just looting the place, really. They, they're not patriotic. That's the big problem. Here's a, an example from yesterday. Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S. Okay, look, I don't have any uh, uh, desire to defend the U.S. Uh, I mean, okay, if they're going to go after Sepp Blatter, the <laughs> FBI uh, seems to be taking him down. That sounds fine mm. to me. But I think this SEC case against Hitachi in South Africa, where we have the, the largest coal-fired power plant on Earth under construction, it's called Madupi, mm. seven years behind schedule. Mm. But it just turns out with a $19 million fine yesterday levied against Hitachi, they bought our ruling party, the African National Congress. They, they bought <laughs> using Vali Musa, the head of ESCOM, who was on the ANC national executive. They used um, several million dollars, uh, even though the ANC only put $200,000 into the investment, so that the ANC could buy a quarter of Hitachi and give them a $5.6 billion deal to make boilers. Okay, the ANC is very good at liberating this country from apartheid (laughs) and winning elections, but they're not good at making boilers, and they had to redo 7,000 wells on those boilers. That's one of the main reasons it's behind. So if that's the crony capitalist relationship between these big institutions, multinational corporations who are very equipped in world um, circuits to extract loot through licit and illicit means, I think we've got to do the opposite of what Majakatet was suggested. We've got to insulate political democracy from that corrupting influence. Doesn't that make sense? Well, l- let's bring back your views back to Majakatata. Your thoughts on uh, some of the differences you have with uh, Patrick Bond there. You want to comment them, Mr. Mgwena? Yeah, Mr. Bond, I, I, as I said, I, uh, the chronic capitalism is definitely not the way to go. I warned about it a long time ago, and I warned that it actually leads to the situation we're in at the present moment, but people didn't listen. They thought it was uh, sour grapes. A crony capitalist is a politician in a business suit. So uh, cronies are not the same people who are entrepreneurs who fight very hard to build businesses and use rational market forces to get where they're supposed to go. Uh, As a result of that, you cannot get people that know much because, in fact, under rule of chronic capitalism, the capitalism itself and the economy itself are in danger because incompetence rules, you see. Now, a different thing is that when a person is au fair 
where they are professionals and they are very dexterous in this application. And they also have a patriotic foundation to their thinking and their application. Then I think we have a different thing altogether where we act uh, on behalf and in on our own interests, rather, uh, as uh, citizens of all the countries on the African continent uh, coming paramount, then I think we have a winning formula because we'll be doing something that is going to benefit ourselves as entrepreneurs living in the African continent and by extension would be success by the country in countries in which people actually stay. I, I, agree, I agree with uh, Mr. Bond that at the present moment what mm. you find is not it's not really it's a corrupt system. A system that's corrupted is not in itself a system just like anything else, something that's broken needs to either be fixed or thrown away. So mm. the system as it stands right now is not actually a one that is uh, designed for success as we all would like to do. Uh, there are people who have been bought by the system and they're quite happy to have a few million in their Swiss bank accounts uh, and they don't care what happens in Polar Park or in Soweto or in other places. Uh, so obviously that's an indication that the system is, breakly, is broken down completely and, mm. and we cannot really judge ourselves or even benchmark ourselves on a system of that nature. Well, we I, need to throw it out. I want to move on from, from this, actually, because we could stay here for a little bit while um, in terms of, of that particular relationship between who actually makes the deal, because that's where the thing is. But there seems to be that this elitism is actually killing what's happening at the bottom gro- at the bottom of the food chain in terms of the middle class and also reaching the poor of the African continent. And that's where we need some form of reformation, where funds actually reach the bottom, empowerment reaches poor communities. Patrick Bond, how do we start reimagining African economies? Well, I'm a very much Afro-optimist when it comes to the 99%. And if uh, Jakarta is also uh, an Afro-pessimist when it comes to the 1%, in other words, the top elite, we'll, uh, we'll make an alliance on that. <laughs> the, the 99%, let's go even uh, further down. Those in our shack settlements in, in this country and some of the rural dorpies, they are protesting at an unprecedented rate. So along with the labor movement of South Africa, rated by the World Economic Forum as the angriest in the world in their the last three years in the mm-hmm. Global Competitiveness Report that comes out uh, every year from Davos, the World mm-hmm. Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. We also have thousands of protests. Now, the big problem with these in South Africa, and let's say many of the continent's protests, I mean, we've just had a few the last um, couple of days, Central African Republic, uh, three people mm-hmm. shot dead mm-hmm. as uh, they were protesting an undemocratic leader uh, put there in a coup, and also Burkina Faso trying to win back democracy after that amazing uh, struggle uh, about 10 months ago to mm-hmm. get rid of uh, Kompar, the man who killed uh, Thomas Sankara. So we've seen some amazing examples the last uh, few days, even. But here in South Africa, I think anyone listening to us knows of the popcorn protest problem. That mm-hmm. is a protest that pops up all and of a sudden disappears. Uh, and then disappears. But mm-hmm. while it's in the air, you know, the right wing winds might be blowing mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. those protests become xenophobic. And the Somali shopkeeper or Zimbabwean mm-hmm. worker, mm-hmm. a Mozambican resident suddenly is subject to a xenophobic attack. We've mm-hmm. had that. Uh, the Durban incidents in April, May were just so mm-hmm. shocking. Now, I think those represent the possibility of taking that energy and anger that I'm optimistic about. It's better to, to, to have people angry than quiescent and passive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to take that and energize it with progressive democratic politics. There are a few moves in that direction, including this big march tomorrow against corruption, which is a civil society march. There's mm-hmm. a united front that the metal workers mm-hmm. are trying to pull together with social movements. Mm-hmm. And um, even a left in parliament, the economic freedom fighters, raising the demands of those 99% very forcefully mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Those to me are around... Are 
grounds for enormous optimism. Mm. Well, let, let me let you have the final say, Majakatatamkwen, in terms of how we can reimagine uh, the whole structure of our African economies. Is it just uh, the uh, protest that's going to really, really propel us to actually seeing financial decisions going the right way? I'm not quite sure if that's going to be the key. Maybe we need more. Uh, yeah, I, I think Mr. Bond, uh, uh, part of departure with me is that I don't have a cookie cutter, right? Uh, you cannot really have cookie cut that maybe what we need to do is to do the progressive, democratic, whatever. And I don't understand what that means, but it sounds like it's a socialist uh, or communist uh, alternative to this. I don't think it's the right way to go about this whole thing, because then if we go further, and make an analysis of all these 99% of the masses that are rising. They are not a homogenous group. They are business people inside there, albeit small. Uh, they are, you know, uh, farmers, they are workers, they are a whole bunch of people. And that composition is no different from any other country that is prospering in many different in countries of the world. So as a result of that, we need to find what we've got on that side, identify areas where we are strong, leverage that in the international marketplace as is, because distribution is something that's domestic. So, But distribution is not the same thing as production. We need to focus on increased production so that now distribution becomes a no-brainer as is. I really do not believe that uh, uh, cookie-cutter ideologies would be ones that are going to solve the day. What we need to do is to look into the strengths that we've got and we look into... uh, the capabilities that each community can work. I mean, look, we got Kenya. Uh, Kenya seems to, well, although the disparities in income uh, are not uh, ideal, but we do have an economy that actually is diversifying and is going somewhere. We look at uh, Rwanda, uh, Paul Kagame basically having a perspective that's different from just a, a ground swell, but actually having a top-down uh, economic strategy and plans that actually go into the community. And he's actually achieving, uh, uh, you know, really imp- good uh, results that uh, other people can copy to go. I think in, in South Africa, I, I have to agree, it's a complete train smash. And I've always said that the problem is that uh, if you have a dominant uh, organization that is uh, supported by people that are illiterate and is led by people that are intellectually lacking, you're obviously going going to have a, a complete disaster. Well, that's, that's where it's gone. Yeah, we, we have to let it go. They have ran out of time. It's 11.45. But I see that we should have a second part of this conversation because I think we can even reposition the angle of this particular conversation on the global downturn and some of the factors that are actually creating some of the impacts where we're seeing slow growth on the continent. But hey, we need to move on. But thank you to Patrick Bond for joining us in our Thanks studios, so coming all the way to Auckland Park. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you as well to Majaka Tata Mugwena, the Chair and Chief Executive Officer for Muhudi Group. Thank you as well to Dr. Peter Karung. We kind of took the conversation to a different dimension. So thanks to him for giving us his few minutes. He was on the phone. He was on uh, the line there driving, but uh, we had to let him go. Also for his safety on the road. But let's move on now and let's take a quick break. And then after that particular break, we'll get our economics update from Wisani Matebula. Uh, remember, we want to hear from you. So plus two seven seven nine. Six nine five seven nine three zero. Hey, do you think that our African governments are actually making the right decision in order to retain our profits, retain our economies, make sure that we actually are protecting our resources as well? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's take a quick break. After that, we have Ms. Wisani Matebula with that particular economics update.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. The crisis enveloping Volkswagen has intensified as German prosecutors opened an investigation of the former boss of the world's biggest car maker, Martin Venterkorn, over the emissions scandal. As a senior German politician expressed concerns about the effects of the wider economy, Venterkorn became the subject of a preliminary inquiry by prosecutors in Braunschweig into possible fraud relating to the sale of vehicles with manipulated emissions data. Braunschweig is a town close to Volksberg, which is the home of VW. The car maker has been rocked by the scandal which erupted uh, 10 days ago when a U.S. government agency revealed that it has discovered that uh, VW has been using sophisticated software to cheat emissions tests. Meanwhile, uh, Volkswagen's top-of-the-range automaker Audi has revealed that 2.1 million of its diesel cars worldwide are fitted with sophisticated software that enables them to cheat emissions tests. In Germany alone, 577 vehicles were affected and 13,000 in the U.S. In Western Europe as a whole, the number was at 1.42 million. The models concerned are the Audi A1, A3, A4, A6, and Q3, Q5, and the Roadster, the Audi TT. Corivo has granted cocoa export licenses to 113 companies' cooperatives for the 2015-2016 season, up from 80 last season. The French export house, Sarkden, which normally buys 100,000 tons of cocoa annually, was not on the list. Company officials were not immediately available for comment. The Coffee and Cocoa Council regulator normally puts out a second exporter's list during the season. The South African rent has tumbled to new lows in Asian trade, hitting 14 rand point two cents against the US dollar and 21 rand point forty cents against the pound sterling. The rand is nearly 25% down against the dollar so far this year. The new record lows comes on the back of renewed concerns about Chinese economy. Market analyst at 27.4 investment managers Nadir Token says the rand slumped by a rapid rate in four years from being hit by both risk aversion towards high-yield currencies and the fall in commodity prices. The same theme that's been pervasive through, you know, global markets for the last uh, sort of eight months or so, where every time we've seen a risk-off scenario, you know, be it speculation around the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates, or be it around poor numbers coming out of China, or be it uh, around uh, a bit of volatility out of Greece or peripheral Europe. We've seen a flight to quality assets, and emerging market currencies have, and particularly commodity currencies, have bore the brunt of that. So, you know, anything at the moment with significant exposure to China is coming under severe. 
And now to Lesotho, where annual rate of inflation increased to 3.2% for July 2015. Commodity classes that influenced the price surge include uh, gas, which recorded the highest monthly increase of 5.8%, bread and cereals with 0.8%, meat with 0.5%, and vegetables at 0.4% and uh, garments with uh, 0.3%. There was, however, a 1.5% decline in the price of solid fuels, which mitigated the overall impact. That's your economics news. Well, we've got Tamir Kuzer with us in studio to give us our sports. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. A warm welcome from the sports desk. Let's start with rugby, where the South African Rugby Union, Saru, has confirmed that Wednesday's team announcement for Saturday's crucial Rugby World Cup clash against Scotland has been delayed by a few hours. The team was originally due to be announced at 11 a.m. South African time, as was the case with the previous two matches, but Saru has confirmed that the team announcement will now take place at 6 p.m. Central African time. And Springbok coach Hanekameya will also be naming a new captain after Jean de Villiers returned home with a broken jaw following Saturday's 46-6 win over Samoa. Saturday's match at St. James Park in Newcastle will kick off at 17.45 Central African time. And Namibia prepared to play with high intensity from the start as they beat to secure their first win of the tournament. No matches were played on Monday as the SAPC's Alan Tadden reports. Tonga will meet Namibia in a Pulsi match at Sandy Park in the only match scheduled for Tuesday evening. So at 5.45 we have an exciting game on our hands as Namibia gets set to face off against Tonga. Now a schedule of three matches in 10 days has prompted Tonga coach Manu Atai to make nine changes to his starting lineup for today's game, which comes before contests with Argentina and New Zealand. Announcing his team to take to the field at Exeter Sandy Park, uh, Otai says they are planning a few tactical changes after the Pacific Islanders were beaten 17-10 in the opening Pool C match against Georgia. Now, Namibia's uh, Welsh coach Phil Davies has demanded belief, effort and courage from his players as they seek their first ever Rugby World Cup victory today. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015, live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. And now let's move on to soccer. South Africa's national under-17 men's football team, Amajimbos, are en route to South America, where they will participate in the FIFA Under-17 World Cup in Chile from the 19th of next month until the 8th of November. Amajimbos' first stop will be in Brazil, where they will play the international friendly match against the host country next weekend. They will proceed to Chile for two more international friendlies against the host and New Zealand before the tournament starts. There's only one request from the SAFA president, Daniel Dan, that the team should reach the second round. I hope you've seen the tape from uh, Korea DPR uh, and that you are ready coach for Korea uh, and that you will go through to the second round. That is what we want. That is what we expect. After the competition becomes a knockout, then it is just how you perform on the day. But for starters, 
we want you to go through to the second round. Amachimbos have been pitted against Russia, Costa Rica and North Korea. South Africa's senior women's football team, Banyana Banyana, are currently in camp ahead of the first leg of the 2016 Rio Olympic qualifiers against former African champions Equatorial Guinea. The match takes place on Saturday at the Makulong Stadium east of Johannesburg. Equatorial Guinea booted out Nigeria in the last round of the qualifiers. Banyana captain Janine Van Veik is strongly aware of danger Equatorial Guinea poses. Well, we know it's a tough battle line ahead of us. Um, we know what Equatorial Guinea is all about. So they're very strong opponents. Um, they're physically very strong. And um, But I believe that we have prepared really well for this one. Uh, we've been together as a team for since the beginning of the year, um, going stage, uh, winning stage at two stage, um, progressing to get to, to the final round, which we will face Equatorial Guinea. Uh, we know that they put out Nigeria, uh, one of the top, top dogs in African football. So they're going to come out uh, with full force, uh, with loads of confidence behind them. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Hey, that's how we wrap it up, and uh, thank you for joining us. What an interesting conversation today. Very robust between the various uh, interviewees and the guests that we spoke to today. Very, very interesting. I think we should do a second part of this conversation. Seemed like we left a lot of things unsaid there. But hey, we want to hear your thoughts. Do you think that African governments and even the corporate sector is actually maintaining our economies? Are we creating sustainable, growing economies? Because hey, Africa is at an exciting point right now but hey if we lose the potential right now things could go really 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 wrong let us know your thoughts plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero well one of our guests earlier on spoke a little bit about the Kino Faso and the dynamics of the politics there that was Patrick Bond I believe but so tomorrow we're going to be looking at uh, Burkino Faso the latest developments there have things calmed down I think sometimes we see the story when there's a lot of protesting, when there's uh, transitional things that are taking place in government. But hey, when uh, we don't know what's happening, we need to follow up. So we're going to be following up on the issue of Burkina Faso and what is the situation there. We'll be back tomorrow. Hey, we're going to have a song by uh, Ringo Malingos. He hasn't released anything uh, very recently. He's a South African great singer. And I know that his son was on Idols, which is a TV competition in the way they're looking for uh, musicians. I wonder if he sang like his father because he's a great talent. But hey, here, uh, let's wrap it up with uh, Ringo Malingosi. From me, Benjamin Mushatama, until tomorrow, God bless. <laughs>